Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Fifteen months ago to this very day, on December 26, 2021, the first Sunday after Christmas, I stood in this pulpit and quoted Murder in the Cathedral, the seminal play by the Anglo-American playwright T.S. Eliot. And I focused in particular on one line, between Christmas and Easter, what work shall be done? At the time, one day after the Nativity of our Lord, I invited you to ponder that question and examine how it applied to your own individual spiritual journeys and to this parish's collective journey as a community of faith. I encouraged everyone to find time to prayerfully reflect on what interior work you were going to do in your own life in the coming months as we all moved slowly but inexorably from the crib in Bethlehem to the cross at Golgotha. So today, exactly 15 months later, here we are together again on this sunny spring Sunday morning, a day reflecting the glory and the wonder of God's creation. And we find ourselves at the penultimate Sunday of Lent, the fifth Sunday, when we start to shift from the penitential nature of the Lenten season to Holy Week and the upcoming Passion of Christ. Next Sunday, Christians around the world will begin Palm Sunday services with hosannas and by singing, all glory, laud, and honor to thee, Redeemer King. Yet by the end of the worship service, they and we will also have shouted in unison, crucify him, crucify him. As Lent draws to a close, we will walk with our Lord through Holy Week, all the way to the cross and at the Easter vigil and on Easter morning, rejoice in his glorious resurrection. So let's spend a few minutes together unpacking the significance of the readings appointed for this day, particularly John's Gospel on the death of Lazarus, and how their meaning might help us with the faith work that we all need to do in these last lingering days of Lent before we celebrate the resurrection and Eastertide. In their contrast between life and death, the texts for today anticipate Easter. 
However, all of them focus more upon the life of the people of God this side of the grave than upon the resurrection as such. Ezekiel's dramatic vision of the Valley of Dry Bones is a prophecy that the people of Israel, dead in exile in Babylon, will one day live again on their land. Psalm 130 is a prayer that the Lord who redeems Israel and is motivated by steadfast love will save people in trouble. In the letter to the Romans, St. Paul compares the Holy Spirit with life and mortal flesh with death, commenting, to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And the familiar gospel from John is the account of Jesus' raising of Lazarus, his friend and the beloved brother of Mary and Martha, raising him from the dead. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus does. Then Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. And so the people step forward. The story of Lazarus comes at the end of Lent to prepare us for Holy Week. It has drama. It has compelling characters. And it begins to show us how Jesus can lead us from death into new life. Some of you may have visited the Roman catacombs, those underground caverns and passageways beneath the city of Rome where many of the first Christians are buried. Those first believers would gather there to remember their beloved dead, and they would celebrate an early form of communion, breaking bread with one another to recall the meal Christ celebrated with his disciples. Some of these catacombs are decorated with paintings, and there are at least 40 images showing the raising of Lazarus. Most of these images are from the second century and depict just two people, Jesus doing the raising and Lazarus being raised. Lazarus is depicted in his burial garments, all bandaged up, looking a little bit like a mummy. But in the broader world of Christian art, by the fourth century, the picture quite literally changes. In later centuries, icons and other religious art depicting the story of the raising of Lazarus still show Jesus and Lazarus, of course, but they also begin to include Martha and Mary, Lazarus's sisters. And some of these later icons also include the disciples, the crowd, the curious, and the nosy. And eventually these images, paintings in the Renaissance, for example, evolve to the point where someone in the crowd is portrayed as holding their nose to illustrate 
clearly that Lazarus has been dead for four days. And it's starting to smell like it around the cave. One such image that does it is the one on the cover of our bulletins this Sunday. Now, hold these various images in your mind's eye. We'll come back to them. In the Orthodox Christian tradition, the story of the raising of Lazarus gets extra special treatment. The Saturday before Palm Sunday is known as Lazarus Saturday, and the focus of the day before Palm Sunday is on this sign of the power of Jesus, of life over death, of love over despair. For our Orthodox brethren, the week leading up to Lazarus Saturday is spent as a sort of sustained meditation upon this gospel story. On Monday, the focus of the meditation is on Jesus hearing that his friend is sick. Were we as Episcopalians to follow this meditative practice, that would be tomorrow. On Tuesday, the focus is that Lazarus is quite ill and is, in fact, dying. On Wednesday, that Lazarus is dead and has been buried. On Thursday, that for two days, Lazarus has been dead. On Friday, there is expectation, a glimmer of hope for the next day, Saturday, Lazarus Saturday. Lazarus will be raised. And so throughout the liturgies of that entire week, Orthodox believers are invited to participate in and meditate on this story, to sit with it, to rest with it, to pray with it, to live with it a bit, to see where the story intersects with their own lives. And if we, as 21st century Christians, as Episcopalians, as we think about it, there undoubtedly are intersections with our own lives. Remember those early Christian images of Jesus and Lazarus, first from the catacombs under Rome in the second century, but later in icons, paintings, and other religious art? At times, we hear the story of Jesus raising Lazarus. When we hear this story, we may hear it as it was portrayed in those earliest pictures in the Roman catacombs as something that happened between two people, Lazarus and Jesus, between one human being and their understanding of God. That private, intimate image of Jesus and Lazarus may resonate with us at a particular juncture in our lives, perhaps when we find ourselves struggling and yearning for a deeply personal relationship with the divine. But I believe 
most of the time, both John's gospel and our lives themselves suggest a more literal and a more crowded picture. One that's more in keeping with those later icons that show Jesus, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and crowds of people surrounding them. Those later artistic images depict a life that can be rough around the edges, disorganized, perhaps a bit crowded and chaotic, and sometimes even smelly. Yet this is where God meets us. It's precisely in those moments when we get lost in a cave that God approaches us and calls us out. When we're pulled into new life by God, often through the people God has sent us. Now the caves can look very different for each of us. Sometimes they are dark and desolate. We may feel like there is no hope. We may feel isolated and alone. But sometimes the caves can be found in a crowded, busy room, a place ostensibly filled with laughter and light. Or the caves can be found in a well-appointed home, in what looks to the outside world as a happy family. But inside, and inside ourselves, we may feel lost, as if part of us were withering away, dying. But God continues to call us out. Today, as two millennia ago, God continues to call, Lazarus, come out, or Jeremy, Jennifer, James, come out. Whatever your name is, whoever you may be, wherever your particular cave is located, God calls to you, come out. Even if you think you've forgotten what your name sounds like on God's lips, God never stops calling. Come out. However dark the cave may seem, come out. And then, then God sends angels to help unbind us. Often, these angels are disguised in the oddest ways. Sometimes God sends a total stranger. Or God sends someone whom we find incredibly annoying, who really, really gets on our nerves. But they are there to call us out. Or God sends us a doctor, a specialist, or a friend who calls just to check on us, or a neighbor who invites us to go on a walk or have coffee. Even in the cave, Jesus is always with us. Even in the dark, God calls and sends help to unbind us, to free us, and to bring us again into the light. And all along the way, we will be helped by others, 
sometimes by those whom we least expect. God works in mysterious, even miraculous ways to call us all into new life. In the coming week, as we approach Palm Sunday and the start of Holy Week, I invite you to embark on your own Lazarus journeys leading up to next Saturday, Lazarus Saturday. Identify your individual and collective caves and then have the courage to ask God to help you to emerge from them. As Lent draws to a close, have the courage to admit your sins and the faith to ask God for forgiveness. And imagine Jesus is speaking directly to you, as he did to Martha, saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? If you embark on this hard internal work, you may feel free from what binds you and released from your sins and then able to respond fully just as Martha did two millennia ago. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And then, on Easter Sunday, may you truly experience the joy of Christ's resurrection and the promise God gives to us all the divine gift of life everlasting. Amen.